0: We return to Employee Benefits with today's podcast. Once again, in the podcast studio with me is Tim McFall, our Director of Employee benefit Sales Development, and I am looking forward to learning more about the important topic of compliance. I'm your host, Andy Payton, and Tim will undoubtedly have some great advice and important points about something that I think HR departments across America are, or at least should be, very aware of, and that is compliance. Compliance is all about operating your business in accordance with the law, and since that is always changing and evolving, it does make a lot of sense for us to talk about it. So, welcome to the podcast, Tim. It's good to have you back.
1: Thank you, Andy. And, of course, we just looked as hard as we could to find a really simple subject to talk about today. <laughs> right. Oh, no, that's that's another talk. We're going to talk
0: about it, compliance in the law. It probably is important that we say yeah. neither one of us are lawyers, nor are we offering yeah. legal advice today. So d- so, disclosure yeah.
1: made on that. So Good deal. I think compliance in general is, is complicated and not well understood by, by a great many people. And in the terms of our employee benefit programs, there's some extra complicating factors that make it even a little bit harder to understand. Um, but it's really important for employers to do everything within their power to stay compliant, even as difficult as it is. Uh, there's something called good faith, and so if you do get caught and you can document that you've put if, out a lot of good faith. Yeah, you're at least trying, you, you, trying to be you, as... Uh, they, they they are really not looking to hang people out to dry, but if there's an employer that's uh, just totally ignoring laws, then they're going to get the sure. full brunt of any kind of penalty that might come down on them, but... So I think that, Keith, first thing is, is employers need to put out a lot of effort to understand what kind of regulatory issues they may have. You and I have
0: talked about this in previous podcasts, but you know, not every uh, customer of ours, not every potential customer of ours, not every company in the country, frankly, has a, a, a fully staffed HR department that focuses on this every moment of every day you know obviously uh, many businesses have folks that work uh, in this area and they wear a, a lot of different hats and so that i think makes the the whole issue of being compliant with the with the you know the plethora of federal laws that regulate these things so, even more of a challenge
1: so if if we could look at some of the results of audits so you, i think you would find that that the big number of violations are in the smaller size accounts yeah. which as you say probably don't have highly trained professional staffs, or they may have some people, but they may turn over frequently. And you get to your larger companies, which you might call your Fortune 500s, they've probably got excellent people uh, running those benefit departments, including some attorneys, and they probably have few infractions. Yeah, well, in addition
0: to like um, our various HR professionals that may have tuned into this podcast, there's just a lot of people that, that operate in spaces near... Uh, our HR departments and that function. Then, just be good for us to get educated on uh, some of the big issues that relate to this uh, topic and, of compliance. And if
1: you look at the 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 vast majority of employers in America are under fifty. Oh yeah, even under twenty. I mean the 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 numbers of sheer numbers of small employers uh, obviously point to where that's the where there's going to be the most opportunity to fix it before it happens. Yeah. But it does happen in larger accounts, too. So larger accounts are not immune, certainly.
0: Well, when we're talking about, you know,
1: compliance,
0: it's such a broad topic. I'm thinking, and of course, this is not my area of expertise, but, you know, there's all kinds of requirements related to compliance with uh, occupational safety. You know, OSHA has its own, you know, uh, phone book size regulation or multiple volumes. I think there's... You know, some of our customers operate fleets, and there's, you know, a Department of Transportation compliant type thing. But what we're talking about today has more to do with the the compliance issues related to our employee benefits program. So
1: let let me just begin by saying, if you're the employer and you need to understand the laws that apply to you, one one of the key early indicators is going to be how many employees do you have. Right, okay. And so... There's a number of these laws that apply regardless, irregardless of the number, but there are some that are specific. And so, the first one I'll mention as an example is COBRA. Yeah. So we have a federal COBRA law. We've had it for well over 20 years, 25 years probably, and 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 people really know what it's about, for the most part. But if you're a small employer, if you have less than 20 employees on average in the prior year, for the majority of months in the prior year, then you do not have to follow federal COBRA. There are some states that have their own mini COBRA, but the federal COBRA we're talking about was only applicable to employers Mm -hmm. that have 20 or more full-time employees in the prior year on average. And so uh, that's one. Another example is the Affordable Care Act, which we will talk more about in this uh, podcast but the reporting to the irs it's really employer self-reporting to the irs Mm -hmm. just like a tax reform tax form basically uh and hits all the buttons about did they offer a a plan that meets all the requirements for minimum essential benefits affordable price etc if they uh, and it, it, they ha- that reporting is required if they have 50 or more mm-hmm. full-time employees. And so there's a lot of employers that may be in the middle between, say, under 50 and over 50. Right. And one of the catch, catch-me's on this is it also includes uh, part-time equivalent. Okay. Or full-time equivalent based on part-timers. So if you have 40 full-time and then you have a number of part-times, and if you do the equivalency that puts you over the 50, well, now you have to comply right. with the law. Uh,
0: that's, that's important for, obviously important for them and, to, to understand the nuance there.
1: And then the last one i mentioned as an example is an ERISA requirement for filing 5,500 forms, which is uh, of information that goes to the Department of Labor. It's disclosing who all the carriers are what their total gross premiums are, commissions paid to the broker, who are the executives in charge, and what's the renewal month. So that's all information that is supplied um, if it's required to be supplied if the employer has over 100 participants in any one product. So if they have 100 in medical but only 90 in dental, then they have to do a 5,500 on the medical plan. Okay. And it is it is. It is alarming sometimes to find employers that have been over a hundred for some time. They started young, started it mm-hmm. smaller. Now they've grown over a hundred, maybe several years, and they've never filed a fifty-five hundred. Well, I'm uh, I'm
0: thinking about also. I would call them extraordinary events throughout the year that may have not been anticipated. You know, obviously, I'm coming at this from a little bit of a P and C side, but imagine the the big storm that happens in a particular geographic location and suddenly a roofing company goes from 18 full-time employees and because of the workload they have just hired everybody they could at any given time and you know that could dramatically change an employee count and it's just important that those those businesses be aware of some of the requirements. Now the
1: Uh, the fine line of the law is if you had a hundred participants in the particular product on the first day of the plan year, okay. So if you happen to grow after the okay. plan year, it'll be the following plan yes. year, but not this one, right? So you have just to keep your eye on that ball. Nu- sure. Nuances like that. Yeah. So I, I would just add to that, Andy, that the brokers and and benefit advisors really are are the first line of education uh-huh. for these employers. Mo- the employers that we're really concerned with, most of insurers benefit customers are under a hundred. Certainly they're under say the majority are under 500. We have some of several thousand, but the majority of our groups are the small and mid market. And those are the kind of employers that typically don't employ attorneys. Right. And, and actually benefit attorneys are not near as prevalent as uh, all other sorts of attorneys. And the benefit law is very specific. So, you really need the if you if you're real in trouble you need a benefit advisor and a risk attorney to to really advise. Yeah. So, but our job is not to give legal advice as you mentioned at the beginning. We can't do that, but we do have enough information to get them steered in the right direction. And in in the majority of cases, we can keep them from being out of compliance if we're talking sure
0: appropriately. And then uh, we'll. We'll also advise them to involve their own legal counsel as they go along Absol- the way, just abs- to, absolutely as an extra uh, set of protection. So, yeah. uh, you know, we talked about staying in compliance. I suppose that uh, one way to discover you're out of compliance is to get a knock on the door. Yeah, <laughs> and so I just wonder who are the yeah you know who who tends to, to be the regulators or the okay. enforcers of these
1: laws. Great, great uh, point, and and we'll talk about that now. Uh, regulations and enforcement. I'm going to start by just saying there's every state's got a state department of insurance, but those the state department of insurance through the legislatures in those states they will have certain mandated benefits, but in the in the department of insurance is going to make sure that the carriers are compliant Mm -hmm. in their state, and so if you're talking about fully insured business, then uh, there's really not much else for the employer to worry about
0: because those those The the Blue Cross Blue Shields of the world are being regulated by the Department of Insurance in each state.
1: But but let's say that you're a self-funding employer. Okay. The state laws, state mandates don't apply to self-funding. Okay. And so the Department of Labor actually becomes the regulator for self-funded plans. Hmm. And that's where your reporting is done. Um, uh, IRS is going to be the regulator on ERISA. Um, Department of Labor... Is is going to be the regulator on most of the other features of a um, of a of a full, of a self funded plan? And self funded plans these days, the sizes come down. At one point, those were typically larger employers again had more professional staff. But now we've got a lot of small and even medium sized employers that are self funding, and they're relying on their broker and their third party administrator.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of um... Terms and phrases we use in our business uh, that that revolve around self funding. We we talk about captives. We talk about um, yeah. high deductible programs. All those all those kind of things. But but at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about the employer yeah. taking the, the majority and, of that. And cons-
1: consider an employer that's been fully insured for many years, and then they go self funding. Well, they, there's a lot of this they never really had to worry about. Right. They did have. They should have been worrying about some things, but now they have a lot more to worry about. Well, they're
0: essentially functioning the, as their own insurance carrier. And, and so mo-
1: most violations are caught by routine audits, Andy. Yeah. Uh, if the IRS is coming in to to do an audit on one thing or the Department of Labor is coming in to audit something, there's nothing that precludes them from saying, while we're here, why don't we go take a look at your summary plan descriptions? Right, and
0: Because we're from the government and we're here to
1: help. And, and <laughs> we have a we have a quota, you know. We have yeah. to generate so much revenue, or right. well, we lose our job. So we need to find some revenue sure. here. Um, that's, that's when uh, operating in
0: good faith can really be your best friend. We're hey, uh, we're trying. Look, we're we're doing well, the best. We may have made an error and have to pay a small fine, but at and, least we're trying to do and, everything the right way.
1: Yeah, and so we we t- we kind of talk sometimes of being, you know, are you ready for an audit? You know, that's actually a, that's maybe one of the smartest questions you could ask an employer if you're trying to find out. Something about an employer is: Are you are you ready for an audit? Do you have all your stuff prepared? the The fines on these uh, infractions, uh, generally speaking, uh, hundred dollars per day per infraction. Wow, and um, that can add up pretty in quickly. a hurry. So if doesn't
0: sound like much, maybe, but when it, you start doing the math, it can you you have hundred devastating.
1: You have a hundred employees. And you have not been distributing the, the summary plan descriptions. There's 100 people times how, how many SPDs? I mean, you have maybe. So that's
0: you, 10 grand a day for the number of days you've been out of and compliance. And depending
1: on how many plans you have. So the yeah. the fines are just, for not, can be very, very high. Um,
0: so it may be helpful to then go back. We touched on it briefly earlier, but, you know, break it down for us again, these the different federal regulations, and how they might apply to the variety of employee benefits plans and products that are within okay. a particular program. Okay,
1: so that's that's going to be our next field. And the first one I want to just mention about is the Affordable Care Act. Okay. And the Affordable Care Act was just passed 11 years ago, right. 12 years ago. So it's, we're fairly new in in our history
0: right it's it's uh, june the 23rd 2021 uh, while we're doing this podcast just last week the supreme court uh, essentially um dismissed or threw out uh the latest challenge to the affordable care yeah. act uh okay. no need to get into the details here but essentially you know it, it survived yet and, another challenge and it still remains the law of the
1: land today. so so as controversial as it has been and then I really think it's controversial now, mostly in the political context of things, because after this many years yeah. of it, the medical community, the insurance community, even the employer communities have really had to accept it. Right. So the, we're over the biggest humps there. Yeah. Uh, but we did mention it just a moment ago about employer reporting, uh-huh. and uh, and that that uh, that is done uh every year it's it's due if you're if you're providing that in writing in a written form it's due at the end of february if you're doing it electronically it's due at the end of january okay every year and there's a, an employee report that goes to the irs and another re, a summary of that report goes to each of employees so you have okay. to you have to compile a lot of data now today I recall getting that uh, notice uh, from my employer you yeah, know at that time it, of year it, it created a lot of problems at the big at the beginning of this compliance because you have to track every employee all year yeah and so in the reporting you're saying uh Andy Payden, he what months was he employed was he eligible for benefits yeah what months did he have benefits right and um if Andy Payton leaves employment, you're still in the report. We just have to have a code that says that you're no longer there and you're not getting offered insurance right. any longer. It the, sounds uh, complex just in that uh, kind of description. The, so- the softwares that they devised now help, but there's still the, an employer cannot be uh, – you cannot let an outsourced vendor do it because you have to maintain all the records. Sure.
0: It, it it immediately strikes me as a full-time position. And if it's not a full-time position, it's all that person is yeah. doing for a few months during that time of year. And that's
1: just the reporting part of it, Andy. But there's a lot a lot of other things that are in the ACA, a, a couple of other things. There's something called a PCORI fee, hmm. which is a fee that the was put into the original law to To produce uh, funds to do research on quality of care and how do we how should we be doing yeah. healthcare better, right? And that fee is baked into all fully insured premiums. But if you're self funding, then you have to track that fee and pay that fee directly okay. to.
0: Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things that. Uh, you, you've relied in a fully insured program that just yeah. is part of the, the price, the, but now it's extra.
1: The fee itself is not very large. It's It changes each year, but right now it's like $2.66 mm-hmm. cents per employee, but it's just the fact that you have to pay it. Right. You have to know to pay it.
0: If you don't pay it, you're out of compliance, and that's
1: Correct. a problem. Yeah. Uh, medical loss ratio rebates is another feature of the Affordable Care Act, and this is a – this is comes from the point of view that insurance companies might be taking advantage of people, so they want to put limits on the loss ratio for the insurance carrier. Okay, and it's, there's a small group and large group, and so the carrier has to track all their groups in each state. So if I talk about the state of Oklahoma, um, and just use Blue Cross as an example, they've got to track all their loss ratios collectively for all their small groups in Oklahoma. Hmm. And if that loss ratio is, is less than 80%, let's say it's 78%, then they've got to take 2% of that premium received on all those small groups and refund it or rebate it back to those employers. Yeah. And the employer, unless the employer is paying 100% of the premium, which is not ever the case, they're going to have to distribute that money among their group Yeah, in the same ratio in which they paid it in. Another a bookkeeping, and, accounting sort of nightmare, and, and uh, if it's a tiny, it's, if it's a few th- cents, that's what they call um, like a margin of error, yeah. Tiny, <laughs> tiny uh, but it, it can it can be a. We have had examples of groups that had thousands of dollars in fines because they didn't distribute like five hundred dollars <laughs> because the employer didn't know. Right. right. Okay. Medical okay. medical loss ratio rebate. Um, Another federal, just moving. Yeah, but please st- staying staying within the ACA just for a moment. There's all kinds of requirements for keeping the plans affordable, making sure that the out of pockets, the deductibles are all within the limits of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of those things in the ACA. Most of that has been digested now. So the, the biggest thing today is the reporting mm-hmm. and that's just because it's complicated. Uh, I'll spend just a moment on Medicare Part D. Medicare Part D is actually the pharmacy benefit in Medicare. The ACA requires all of the ACA-compliant health plans have to have a pharmacy benefit that's as good as or better than Medicare Part D. Okay. And it's an actuarial determination. Okay. So you you have to ask your carrier for that determination, and then – and then report it.
0: an actuarial implies that it changes on a regular basis. And, it may be similar, but it, it may have some differences that demand an adjustment in your
1: plan. So, some carriers are really uh, helpful and some are not. But but at any rate, the Medicare Part D is a is a feature, and the employer then has to supply a form to every employee every year that says our plan is in compliance with Medicare Part D so just producing the form is the
0: is the compliant piece pain. but it's a, it's a pain too.
1: We talked a little bit about Cobra but and then you brought up a moment ago the American Rescue Act which is what we are calling the COVID stimulus right. package. Right. right. And so that that did a lot of things in in uh, in uh, it affected different things but it did have a pretty big impact on Cobra because there were so many people that were who we lost their jobs either temporarily or permanently through through the covid and so for the the switch the the requirement in this law is that cobra will be no charge for april through september of of 21 okay so that's 6 months where these people don't have to pay their cobra fee right now the employer will have to front the COBRA fee, and then they can take a tax credit on their quarterly filings so the government essentially gives that money back.
0: So we mentioned September, and I'm, I'm asking this question kind of flying blind here, but, you know, the American Recovery Act, which was something that was put into place, uh, is is there a date that 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 ends and then we kind of go back to the regular uh, environment in which we're all operating our health plans or is it just sort of open-ended at this point?
1: Once the, um, once the, I don't know if we've actually had an official end to the COBRA outbreak, but the, the things we're talking about COVID
0: outbreak and, and the government, somebody's going to have to say, okay, we're, we're back to business as usual. You
1: know, and, and the, I think it's 90 days after the end date. Okay. The whenever end, that is. Whenever so, that right. is. that's okay. That's going to be the so end So essentially end we're
0: going to be waiting and watching for determination by the CDC or, or somebody. I'm yeah. sure, you know, the president will announce something, but and, it's like, okay, it's the end. And now all these uh, special circumstances right. brought upon by the American Rescue so, Act will so,
1: expire. So the just to get back to this point, the COBRA was not too complicated before because we've had it a long time yeah. and it's... And most employers do a decent job of COBRA. Uh, but now, and, the, and there's COBRA notices that the employers are used to putting out. Yeah. But now, because of this change, they have a new notice. So now we have to send out a new notice. It's a little bit different than the one we sent you before. Right. And it, it does allow for people that are just have lost their jobs um, people that maybe lost their jobs before, but they're in COBRA for 18 months, then those people don't have to pay their premiums, even though they may have lost their jobs before COVID. They still get the benefit of this six-month of no premium cost. Yeah. And thirdly, employees that may have left previously and didn't didn't uh, enroll in COBRA, you know, never filled out their paperwork. Yeah. they get this new notice, they have to get the notice, and now they can say, well, gee, many Christmas, I could get it for six months with no cost. Right. So why wouldn't I do that? And there's a light bulb. So we'll have a them. lot of people in COBRA that will be coming back in that were not on COBRA. So that's a complicator, and employers are really st- still figuring that one out.
0: You know, when I think about, um, you know, these big federal regulations, and, and I kind of come out of the the healthcare space here at, at Insurgent, too. I know that HIPAA is like, you know, it's it's now well ingrained. But what what from a regulatory uh, standpoint should employers just continue to be vigilant about the regulations? The in,
1: HIPAA you? privacy notice and HIPAA special enrollment notices are some of the required notices. So for employers, it's really more now. There's a lot in behind the scenes sure. that they need to be doing to protect data, but. When it comes to the insurance claims, you know, very few employers actually get any claim information. Sure, that's private. If you were self-funded, you would. But the insurance companies purposely don't distribute hardly anything that's of that personal nature. Uh, But they they still should protect it internally. But it's the notices. uh, The HIPAA special enrollment notice is – you know, is is probably the most prevalent thing right now. Yep. Um if you have a wellness program, there are some HIPAA requirements that have to be built into your wellness program to meet the ADA requirements. Okay. Uh,
0: we're scratching the surface and I, I still feel like we have so well, much more to, to talk about.
1: I I think that you know we may have to have some other episodes where we get into more <laughs> detail, but I think the purpose of today was really to talk about why employers should be concerned, and you know, I, I frankly believe that a lot of people aren't concerned because they don't know that you know. Right. If you don't know what you don't know, you're happy right. as a clam.
0: And in a in a regulatory environment, ignorance is not bliss. You, you have to so, know about these things. So I
1: I'd like to wrap it up with some best practices, sure. Andy. And um, so as a as as Insurica, as benefit advisors and brokers, the we it's really part of our responsibility to inform and educate and assist in any way we can with these with these employers and so i think the best the first best practice i would say to an employer is broker selection yeah. if if you're doing a broker selection which we think is a really great idea compliance should be one of your first uh
0: points sure and just uh, it's certainly a question you want to start asking the various brokers that are are are
1: you able to help me right um every group should have a compliance officer somebody that's doesn't have to be the boss but somebody that's got some level of authority and it may be an hr manager but somebody that can say i'm responsible to make sure that we're doing all within our power it makes sense to have somebody whose job it is to
0: be compliant. That's not something that can typically happen accidentally. You have to be uh, very purposeful.
1: Uh, there needs to be a compliance calendar because many of these things are based on a point in time. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have a compliance calendar, then you're going to be, you know, probably late to the party every time. An annual review about compliance with that broker, with that compliance officer, and the CEO. Um annual because things change. And Laws change. Yeah. People change. You know, um the compliance officer is some is a position that could change. Groups could grow. They could also shrink. Right, right. So it's 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 a it's best practice to do that. And then the next thing is in terms of communication with employees, there's the employer should have a new hire packet that every new hire gets. And that packet's gonna contain um Sort of the rules of the road, their benefit summary, what the contribution is going to be to the plan, and some of those. Even analysis. earlier
0: in the podcast, you you mentioned so many of the regulations um, are are in reference to communicating certain things with your employees.
1: It, that's right, and the new hire packet, so so employees get off to the right start, and it's and the employer is actually putting the responsibility on them right. at that point. So I, I told you about it, right. and then every year there's an open enrollment period that's usually 60 days prior to the anniversary. And once the employers decided what those benefits will be, then there's a packet that's, you know, there's a whole presentation that's prepared, but um, we call it here an enrollment guide, Mm -hmm. but we will put all those notices in the enrollment guide. So if every employee gets gets an enrollment guide, then they're all getting their annual notices.
0: Right.
1: As well as the other information that they need to have. And, and next is company handbook which is really gets away actually from the regulatory environments because the law doesn't say you got to have a handbook mm-hmm. but we do know that every employer tries to enforce some um some policies and procedures and they need to be written down and that book needs to be reviewed frequently. Yeah. And added to, and that's, that can be part of a, of an annual review. And then the last thing is just watching for updates, because just like you mentioned the rescue act um, you mentioned the ACA and the Supreme court. So a lot of these are front page headline news stories and em- employers are going to, they're going to have an opportunity to read into that. And if they have any questions and they're meeting with their broker on a regular basis, then they can certainly bring that up. But stay a stay alert. It's like we don't sometimes we forget how much these these benefit plans are valued. The val the value to, of these plans is usually the the second highest expense of any company after payroll.
0: Yeah, and I've learned from you all just through these podcasts and, and working with you that, you know, the reason that companies have employee benefits is to Attract and retain, and and provide something that's an actual benefit (laughs) to to the the most important asset of their company, and that's their workers.
1: So, so if you take the value of these plans and then look at the potential cost of of violations of penal of uh, requirements, legal requirements, it's a no brainer. (laughs) No brainer.
0: One (laughs) of the one of the most effective ways to control (laughs) control costs of your benefits program is to be in
1: compliance. I, I would make sure my broker can help me. I would make sure that we meet and talk about it a couple times a year, so that we can stay out of trouble. Yeah, well, uh,
0: you're right. There's going to be more podcasts uh, as we drill down on these topics because we've we've just scratched the surface. But I think we've we've said something important, and that is, you know, just for for all those that are involved in these kinds of things to stay vigilant, to make sure they're making good faith efforts, to stay in compliance. And then, uh, you know, consult with your, your broker, your attorneys to make sure um, these important uh, milestones are always hit. So thank you very much, Tim. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Your expertise, and you're willing to share it here in this format. I know we all uh, uh, look forward to that day we have you back uh, to talk about employee benefits and, and just continue this important conversation. Thanks to our listeners, too, for being uh, fans of this podcast. And you'll always be able to to know when we have a new podcast up if you uh, pay attention to Insurica 1. So we'll see you all next time.